Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome everybody here to the Lakers Lounge. I'm Anthony Irwin. Joined today on this fine Thursday morning. It, it all just kind of bleeds into each other, right? This time of year, oh, it's yeah. just like you wake up and you check your phone is essentially what it, what it becomes. And <laughs> part of the reason that you're checking your phone uh, this time of the year is waiting for Jake's tweets to let you know that something is going on around the league. That is Jake Fisher. He is of Yahoo Sports. He is of Ball Don't Lie. He has his podcast, No Cap Room. And most importantly, he wrote Built to Lose, How the NBA's uh, Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. It's one of those, like, prism-changing books. Like, like the way that you kind of look at the league after you read that book. Oh, my God, I forgot to we'll do that. Um, uh, <laughs> Brad is not on the show. Um, but, yeah, we have uh, – it is, it is one of those prism-changing books that once you read – the way that you kind of look at the league kind of changes forever. And and I kind of wanted to start here with you because Thank you, man. you have teams like the Lakers are essentially looking to cha- trade 2029's pick. Mm-hmm. And then if they don't trade it, they would have the opportunity to trade, you know, three picks in this upcoming summer, including as far out as 2031. And then on the other end of the prism you have, or the other end of the spectrum, you have the Oklahoma city thunder who have like 45 picks basically in the next, you know, however many rounds in that time span, basically. And like from your perspective, having written about it, having reported, reported it thoroughly, does it like hurt your soul when you hear the Lakers like getting ready to just trade every pick they have for the next decade or so? It's interesting. 
you know, I was talking to a uh, head coach about that uh, literally before we got on the phone, how like, <laughs> I think the time period of my book from 2013 to 2016, when Sam Hinkie came to power, when Pete D'Alessandro rose to power in Sacramento, when Ryan McDonough got hired in Phoenix, you know, Rob Hennigan was in Orlando, like all these analytical minded executives really to your point about like the prism changing of the league, like we're now in, in this era where every transaction is so measured by asset valuation and like cents yeah. on the dollar that it does kind of, I think maybe bastardize what like the judgment is. And that's just like making your team better and sure. Like there's yeah foresight that needs to be employed and, when you mortgage all of your picks to the point where like you're now hamstrung later in the future and aren't able to get better when you think you have a chance at a title and those moves didn't work. Like I understand what you're saying. I'm someone in my dynasty fantasy football league. I've traded all my picks because like, who knows what's <laughs> going to happen? Like people were, people were, were killing the heat. Some people were killing the heat around the league for giving up a, a real first round pick for, Terry Rogier when the thought is like no one else was going to do that. Well, if no one else was going to do that and you wanted Terry Rogier, who knows how good your pick is it's going to be in 2027 and 2028. Jimmy Butler's 34 years old. Like go yeah. get your guy. I don't care if the Pacers were the only team that were going to give three first round picks for Pascal Siakam. Like they wanted Pascal Siakam. They think they have a window to get better with Tyrese Halliburton and he through whatever back channels existed, like indicated enough he wanted to stay there. Like, go get your guy. I think right now there's a lot of, I don't know, like over assessment of like, if you pay 10 cents more than what the price should have been, like all the dudes in my dynasty league who are typing in every trade in the dynasty calculator, like if it's not what the calculator says is a win, but like this is real life like you're never gonna know yeah at the time what how a deal is gonna work out you're never gonna know how valuable a pick is gonna become like sure there are certain decisions in hindsight that should have been looked at as an overpay back then like the fact that minnesota incentivized golden state way back when to take on andrew wiggins when he ended up becoming an all-star there and what have you like sure like in the moment there are certain deals that you can really scratch your head. I know I'm rambling here, but like yeah. you bring it back to the Lakers. Like you got LeBron at 39 years old playing all-star caliber basketball and Anthony Davis looking like a two-way monster, like more consistently than he's ever had before. If you've got one first round pick to trade in 2029, like I don't know if the world's going to exist in 2029, like trade the pick. <laughs> yeah. That's where I, that's where I usually align, um, you know, existential crises aside, like it is, it is just, you have, essentially I look at it as like a business transaction between the Lakers and LeBron and AD and LeBron and AD have more than done their share of what you would expect here. Right. The fact that LeBron is still playing like this at 39 years old is just insane. Nobody could have seen it coming. And, and the fact that he has done what it has taken to allow his body to continue to do this. Like if he says jump, it's how high essentially is how I would, how I would kind of operate things, but that isn't necessarily how the Lakers are operating, especially after the Russell Westbrook trade, 
that has left, I think, real scars in the organization and a real kind of uh, fear of, okay, we can't do that again. We can't screw ourselves like that again. And I think it's made them somewhat gun shy. And, you know, this, uh, this trade deadline season, the main focus, um, you know, organizationally is DeJounte Murray. I'm told he's their highest priority. He has been their highest priority. They came very close to actually landing him. Um, and then those talks kind of fell apart. Uh, the sense that I get right now is that Atlanta is basically demanding Austin Reeves. That is like that, you know, uh, I've, I've even been told that like all of the third team stuff with D'Angelo Russell is almost somewhat of a, like a red herring where like, it's, you know, it, it, it sends a message out to the rest of the league. Hey, this might be progressing. Just so you know, can we get some other offers in here so we can move this thing forward? But they really want Austin Reeves. A, do you think Atlanta moves off of that stance? And B, do you think the Lakers, given what we just talked about, about the 29 first-round pick, do you think they ever move off of the stance with Austin? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I don't think they move off the stance with Austin right now. I think... Mm-hmm. They take a lot of value in him being this homegrown talent, right? Yeah. Like the fact that Alex Caruso left, that's kind of still been yeah. about as like talk about the, scars. The Lakers version of Toronto not wanting to repeat Fred Van Vliet walking for nothing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and also, I mean, just by nature of uh, whatever the clause in the CBA was, I forget the name that limited him to what his uh, what his max salary was mm-hmm. this summer like he's on a great contract poison pill from, thing mm-hmm. he's on a great contract from just like a value standpoint like terry regier making 23 million dollars like what's the difference between terry regier and austin reeves like i really don't know so yeah i think that's a big part of it too like not just the homegrown and the sentimentality but the fact that if you are trying to build a roster that's regardless of what your pick pool is like it's just more challenging when you have two max players on the books compared to one especially in, in today's new economy with the new collective bargaining agreement. He's just a very valuable piece for, for multiple reasons. So yep. I, I, to bring it to DeJounte, yeah, I do think he is their top priority based off of everything I've heard and based off of the fact that just I think objectively he is the best player on the board in terms of all the players that teams are willing to move right now who is still young, who has all-star credentials and who's on a team controlled contract. Like if you look at him versus Bruce Brown, for example, who's definitely another guy on the Lakers wish list. Everyone knows that he was someone that they were targeting for their mid-level last year before he got this balloon payment from Indiana. You know, teams aren't so thrilled by his contract. Like it was a great way for Indiana to steal Bruce Brown and then use him to be a trade chip to go get somebody, which is what happened. And like, it's just really di- – I mean, you can trade for Bruce Brown and then before he 
has to you have to decide on his team option you can kind of do some under the table you know conversations and try to figure out a way to no that doesn't happen how dare no, you Jake? it doesn't happen but <laughs> i mean you can yeah. in theory decline the team option and then give him a, a smaller you know if some team traded for bruce brown right now and then it all went well in the playoffs and he wanted to stick around i'm sure there's a way to decline that team option and then give him something like a three-year, forty-five million dollar deal. Like I think that's very in the cards. But the fact that mm-hmm. that might not happen. I mean, what if it doesn't go well? And then you have to decide whether to give him twenty-three million dollars. He's not a twenty-three million dollar player in today's economy. No. So I think that's what makes Dejounte and compared to Zach Levine and his deal and the health stuff there. Like that's what makes Dejounte pretty an optimal fit, especially with the fact that the biggest complaints I think about the D'Lo and, and Reeves pairing is that. That's just not the most weaponized version of a Lakers defense, you know? So yeah. if you can bring someone like DeJounte, who is, I mean, watching him flank Golden, uh, Steph Curry last night in, in Golden State, and I only watched the first half, but he's just so long and, and shifty and agile. Like, he'd be incredible for the point of attack and just other perimeter defensive deficiencies that, co- that have come in L.A. So, yeah, I think ultimately – Right now, their offer of a 2029 first and a swap and the salary stuff is probably from from what I've heard. That's the best offer I've heard Atlanta has gotten. So, is there a chance come February 8th that, or maybe even February 6th, that like Atlanta looks around the league and realizes, all right, this is our this really is our best thing? I think that is possible. But the Hawks are just as concerned about getting back players than they are about the pick. Uh, valuation yeah. that they sent out for DeJounte Murray. So I, I just, I don't think that D'Lo, sorry, I'm just giving the call. I don't think D'Lo is going to do it for them. So I do wonder if they would be willing to take a lesser deal in terms of draft capital if it was to get back a real player that they think they could really use to really compete for a playing tournament uh, appearance behind Trey Young and Jalen Johnson. Yeah. The, the concern um, basketball wise with the D'Lo for DeJounte trade is Trey Young and D'Angelo Russell. Like you have those same on ball issues, right? Where they would step on each other's toes on offense. And that would be one of the worst defensive pairings in the backcourt I have ever seen. So yeah. like, you know, it kind of makes sense that even if they, even even if they do take a look around the league, they don't get another better offer. Like I, you know, it almost makes sense for them to either, you know, really see if the Lakers can go out and find a third team and get a better defensive pairing there with Trey to make them still competitive, or get the trade done a little earlier so that they could try to flip D'Lo into something and and, and get a player better player there, um, based off of their different relationships with teams that that like the Lakers don't have per se. Um, the thing that I keep coming back to with this, and I know, like I just said, and you and, and we both said, the Lakers' top priority is DeJounte Murray. But I feel like we've heard so much about this at this point, and so many of Rob Palenka's deals have just kind of come out of nowhere, right? The Rui one happened last year. The fact that Minnesota got involved and the Lakers brought in D'Angelo Russell last year for Russell Westbrook, even the Russell Westbrook trade, right where uh, Kyle Kuzma thought he was going to be a Sacramento King is on the record saying he thought he was going to be a Sacramento King and the Lakers were going to trade him for buddy healed. Um, like 
is there a it, how do you kind of cover and report on a GM like Rob who has such a tight inner circle, right? Like he has people that he, you know, collects data with in the organization. And then I'm told that he basically just kind of closes himself off. Maybe Darwin is in that room too. And they make those decisions on, on the directions that the Lakers are going to go in. Like, do you, do you leave yourself out there when you're trying to report on what this guy might do? I think for myself, like I never report on anything that I'm not certain of, you know? Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of pull. Like if you hear something from a couple people, but you don't have it confirmed and you don't know it to be true. And then it comes out and you're like, oh shit, I had that. It could yeah. definitely, it could definitely influence you the next time around to put something out that you've heard that you definitely heard, but you don't know you're not confident yeah. you haven't, conf you haven't talked to someone who's actually primarily involved. And sometimes when you put that out, like it's not right. Like there's so, I mean, like there's a, I've heard from, I'll, I'll, I'll give an example without saying what it is. Like I've heard, I've heard from several people that one team in the Eastern in the Eastern conference is calling about this veteran player that like there was, a, I heard there was a deal done and then he, yeah. he got hurt and then it got taken off the books and blah, blah, blah. And like, I call, I finally called a high ranking person from the team with that veteran player yesterday and asked him about it. And he was like, Oh yeah, I've heard that too, but we, they never called us. So mm. that guy could be lying to me or he's telling the truth. And maybe this is like seven iterations of a game of telephone and this team that had an idea was was getting ready to work on it and offer it and then the player got hurt and it didn't like i don't know exactly what happened so i haven't reported it but yeah you know maybe two months from now when we're picking up the pieces of the deadline and i'm getting beers with someone when they come into new york and i ask him about it and he says oh yeah like, like maybe there's more to come from there so i think the other thing though is like when a deal happens, so like when this D'Lo for DeJounte, like that package was out there, out there. Like the fact that it got reported yeah. by four different outlets, like that, I heard it like two weeks before and I thought to be like, oh, I had it first. Like, I'm just saying, I think that stuff happened well before it came out publicly. Yep. And so sometimes, some people, a lot of times when that stuff happens, I'll have people even in the league text me like, hey, why do you think this came out now? And sometimes it's just because a guy's going on a podcast with Anthony Irwin and he just says something, you know what I mean? And then it gets picked <laughs> up and it gets aggregated. And yeah. then the beat writer of that team sees it and it's like, oh, well, I had this too. Like I got to you know, show it to my bosses or to my readers that I am not behind the eight ball and I can even advance the story. And then it just kind of goes from there. So for me, like I'm always trying to like touch every tentacle of a deal. So like I'm trying to get everyone I know who knows D'Lo, everyone I know who knows Jalen Hood Shafino and Lakers people and some guy who's a player's guy who just is around the Lakers and yep. every Hawks guy I can. And eventually like to me, you collect all the data points and like to bring it to a specific thing, like with the Pacers Siakam deal, like, you know, the first report came out that night before that it was Bruce Brown and, and three picks. And like, I was able to pin down, it was Jordan Noir was one piece and then there was two 2024 first. And like, that's what I put out. Cause like, I didn't know the rest. Like we wrote yeah. that people are saying it could be Obi and Jalen or Aaron Nesmith, but like we knew it was Jordan Noir and we knew there were two 2024 first and the rest was like still to be determined. So that's always been my approach. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tricky doing all this stuff and I've kind of dipped my toe into it this year 
for the first time, like kind of publicly. And yeah, like for every opportunity that you have to like, you know, technically say something first that eventually gets out there. There's also those spots where like just recently I had it good. I had, I had good information on it that the Lakers were going to start their old lineup from mm-hmm. last year's playoff run. And, um, and still to this day, some people that I talked to were saying, yeah, Darwin changed his mind. He kind of, he, he, he threw people for a loop and we were surprised that Rui started other people were like, yeah, it's kind of tricky. He kind of wanted to see Rui out there. Rui has played well in starts and blah, 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 blah. And you don't quite know. And, and I'm kicking, I would have rather now, if I had it back, sat on it a little bit. And mm-hmm. I like, there's not, there's not even a benefit to, to reporting that that's news that becomes like publicly available a half hour yeah. before the game anyway. So yeah. Um, yeah. anyway, the, the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about is uh, other options that the Lakers kind of have here, right? Talked about DeJounte Murray quite a bit here. Um, there are always kind of smaller moves. We haven't gotten almost any, wide reporting on the Lakers intentions here. I've gotten, I've thrown out a list of people that uh, I've been told the Lakers have called about, but they haven't really gotten very far in any of those talks I've heard um, because their priority is, is with Murray and they don't know what assets they'll have after that deal is done. What have you heard about the Lakers, like other things that they need to do? Yeah. I, th- I think a lot of teams, like I talked to someone pretty high ranking yesterday at one team who was like, yeah, I guess we got to start making more calls because things are moving quickly. Like we haven't called half the team. Yes. The oh my God. Yeah. So I, I do think there's plenty of teams who like the Lakers haven't even talked to that other teams haven't even talked to. You know, I've heard th- like a lot of those point guard type names that I saw someone write recently. I forget who it was. Like I've heard the Tyus Jones stuff. I heard the Dennis Schroeder stuff. Um, I mean, Buddy Heald's always going to be someone that they're checking in on just, <laughs> just like always. by default. You know what I mean? <laughs> I yeah. do think there's been some criticism from people around the team about the front court depth and that Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood just like have not been satisfactory in that regard. But yeah. I haven't heard the Lakers link to any of those types of players that are out there right now. So to me, it does seem like, and I'm not privy to everything, and I haven't been like yeah. lick, looking Lakers, Lakers, Lakers. To me, it just does seem like that the perimeter defense and that general point guard position is one that is of top priority. And I think it makes sense being that without Gabe Vincent, the Lakers default, and without a real point guard, just the Lakers default the entire time LeBron has been in Los Angeles has been, they'll just put the ball in LeBron's hands. And like, yeah. I remember back in 2017 when I was like right out of school working for SI, like there was a morning shoot around at MSG when LeBron was still with Cleveland and they made the Isaiah Thomas Kyrie trade and IT was hurt and Derek Rose was hurt and Dwayne Wade was hurt and LeBron was playing point guard again. And he was like, I heard, he heard me interviewing Channing Frye for a story like on the sideline and he was working with a coach. LeBron was kind of like yelling over his shoulder. Like I wasn't supposed to be a point guard this year. Like this guy knows this guy, the the coach on the staff, he was like, this guy knows we were working on post moves and one dribble hook shots and pivot foot and this and that I wasn't supposed to be the point guard this year. So like a lot of, I think the calculation has been from the get go with the dating back to the rust trade and Dennis Schroeder's trade before that, like trying to not have LeBron do everything on offense. So yeah, I'm sure there are other weaknesses they're trying to 
fix and attend to as well. But like, it makes sense to me that the main priority would be to try to continue to rely less on him as your creator and to support him as the weapon that he is. Yeah, I always feel like LeBron goes through the same cycle every year where you start the year with whatever point guard it is that he thinks that, you know, he's excited to acquire because it'll make his life easier. And then he realizes over the course of the year, shit, I'm still better on the ball than this guy. So he does all of the work all throughout the postseason. And then that's really hard work. And exiting that season, he goes, I can't do that again. And then it just brings you back to the beginning of the cycle at the beginning of the next year with point guard point guard wide next time um jake this has been an absolute blast you do incredible work uh for yahoo and uh in your show no cap room which is meaning uh just dawned on me because i'm an old person it's very very it's a very very good show as well and i i cannot uh speak highly enough about your book built to lie how the nba's tanking era changed the league forever i'm telling you every like after after reading it, the way that I've looked about the league has completely sh- uh, shifted, and and I think it would do the same for everybody listening here as well. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's really an insider account of like what happens in a war room on draft night and at trade deadline. And there's, I mean, there's so much stuff about the Lakers' end of Kobe years where there's like f- the free agent meeting with Carmelo Anthony, and I'm blanking on i mean i remember when they were trying to get lebron and carmelo back in 24 like i have ryan kelly on the record saying that mitch kupchak told him you know if we get these guys we'll give you this and if we don't we'll give you more like yeah there's a lot of stuff like that i mean the d'angelo russell byron scott early uh soap opera there's a ton of i mean d'angelo russell calls him an idiot on the record in the book (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, there's some stuff about Chris Kamen laying on the bench and Kobe's last game was one of my favorite things to report on. So there's a, there's a ton of st- Lakers stuff in there for sure. All right, everybody. Again, that is built to lose the, how the NBA is tanking our change the league forever. That was Jake Fisher, my good buddy. It's great to see you, man. We don't talk often enough and, uh, I look forward to seeing you hopefully in Vegas over the summer. For sure. See you, buddy.